0: Welcome to the KPMG financial reporting podcast series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. Hello, I'm John Barbagallo, a managing director at KPMG. And in today's episode, I have the pleasure of discussing the FASB's Amendment to troubled Debt Restructuring Guidance and Enhanced Disclosures for Creditors in ASU 2022-02, with two of my colleagues from KPMG's Department of Professional Practice, Lisa Blackburn and Javet Malave. Lisa and Javet work closely with engagement teams and clients on the impact of this ASU, and I want to thank them today for joining us to share their insights on the new standard. But before we dive into the details on the new ASU, I'd like to start today's podcast with some background on the TDR project just to help us level set. So Lisa, tell us a little bit about TDRs and why the FASB amended TDR accounting.
1: Uh, Sure, thanks, John, uh, for having me. Probably helpful to have, uh, like you said, a little background. TDRs have been around for a number of years and the way that it works for a creditor, so the lender, is whenever a creditor modifies a loan with a borrower, the creditor has to decide if the modification is a TDR, and that is when the lender has provided a concession to the borrower. It's part of the modification, and the borrower is experiencing financial difficulty. And this is important because for a TDR, there are specific accounting and disclosure requirements. So that's kind of the background of TDRs. Now, uh, in connection with the FASB's post-implementation review of Topic three twenty-six, which we call Cecil. Uh, stakeholders informed the FASB that the accounting requirements for TDRs were just unnecessarily complex. On the other hand, uh, the SEC staff had been encouraging public companies to provide disclosures about their loan modification programs, and the disclosures they were suggesting went beyond what was required by GAAP, and they were also requiring those uh, or encouraging those disclosures for modifications that weren't even TDRs. And investors told the FASB, uh, hey, we really like those disclosures that are being provided. And so um, at the end of the day, what the FASB decided to do was to eliminate the TDR requirements, including the recognition and measurement requirements, and then separately to enhance the disclosures that required for modifications to borrowers that are experiencing financial difficulty. And this new standard um, is going to be effective for fiscal years beginning after December 15th, 2022. And um, that's, that adoption date is the same for all companies. And that's the case even uh, for a company that hasn't adopted CESOL.
0: Yeah, thanks Lisa, very helpful. So from a financial reporting perspective, right? So the ASU eliminates the recognition and measurement guidance for TDR. So how is this all going to impact the financial statements?
1: Well, there's two main areas where uh, entities might have to record different amounts in their financial statements. So I'll just kind of break that down into the two areas. The first area is for the modification itself. The way that GAAP works today is you have to treat a TDR as a continuation of the existing receivable. And then if you have a modification that's not a TDR, you have to go through and evaluate whether... The modification is an extinguishment of the old receivable with a new receivable, or if you treat it like a continuation of the existing receivable. And GAAP has different accounting outcomes for each of these three uh, outcomes, such as like whether you defer fees and costs associated with the modification. So once you eliminate TDRs, the first step in deciding how to account for a modification is no longer required to be you know, evaluated evaluating there's a TDR. And so that will likely cause some differences in the recognition and measurement. So that's the first area on the modification itself. The second area is the effect of the modification on credit losses. The way that CECL works today is that there are uh, certain measurement requirements uh, when you're estimating credit losses to make sure that the direct effect of certain types of TDRs gets reflected in the allowance for credit losses. Won't go into the details about how that works, but you have to make sure that the direct effect gets recorded. The ASU gets rid of those requirements. And so what we expect to happen is that for a company that's adopting um, the new ASU, the allowance should be reduced a little bit because of the effect of those TDRs on credit will no longer be getting measured.
0: Yeah, lots of information there, Lisa, to absorb. So. What about prior periods now? So, will a company have to recast all prior periods presented in the financial statements?
1: Yeah, that's a really great question. The way that it works is the standard or the ASU is adopted prospectively to new modifications that happen after adoption. And that's for everything except for changes to the allowance. For the allowance effect, there are two different alternatives one is prospective and the other is modified retrospective. So let me start with the prospective approach. The way this works is for any TDR that happened before the ASU is adopted, the company just keeps on measuring the allowance the same way it's been doing it and keeps doing that until the loan is subsequently modified after adoption. Once that happens, the entity starts applying the ASU's requirements to that loan and any resulting change in the allowance gets recorded through uh, earnings. And while it might sound appealing it's basically just keep doing what you're doing, it's actually pretty complex to do that because what it requires doing is designing and maintaining controls and processes to continue tracking the existing TDRs that you already have to make sure that only they are getting measured using the old gap and also you need a mechanism to make sure you've identified any modifications to those loans to make sure that they aren't measured under old gap so it's actually pretty complicated operationally to keep doing what you're doing on the other hand the other approach is the modified retrospective approach and the way that this approach works is you remeasure your allowance on the adoption date using all of the asus requirements and then any difference from that amount and the amount that you had previously recorded under an old gap gets recorded as a cumulative effect adjustment to retained earnings as of the adoption date, and then going forward, all of your loans are just measured under uh, the ASU's requirements.
0: Yeah, thanks, Lisa. Great overview. So, Hafet, turning to you. Earlier, Lisa had said that as a trade-off for eliminating the recognition and measurement guidance for TDRs, we now have new disclosure requirements. So, tell us about the new enhanced disclosure requirements in the amendment, and what modifications are subject to these new requirements?
2: So the first requirement that the ASU has is that the borrower has to be experiencing financial difficulty. So once we can establish that, there are four specific types of modifications that entities will now need to disclose. And these include modifications for which the creditor has provided a forgiveness of principal a reduction in the interest rate, a term extension, or has allowed for an other than insignificant delayed in payments.
0: Yeah, thanks, Hafet. So the conditions you just mentioned that trigger enhanced disclosures, are they the same conditions that would have resulted in TDR accounting under legacy U.S. cap?
2: Well, John, not really. As I just mentioned, the first condition is that the borrower must be experiencing financial difficulty. But this was already the case under the legacy TDR accounting, so not really a difference in this first condition. But the main difference is going to be that under legacy TDR accounting the creditor or lender they must have provided a concession and that's no longer a requirement under the new ASU. So although in many cases the specific types of modifications that I mentioned they would have been considered concessions but it's not an exact one-to-one relationship so the scopes are going to be different.
0: Yeah thanks afed So I understand the disclosure requirements in the new ASU are broader than the disclosure requirements on the legacy gap. So tell us about these enhanced disclosures and what the FASB did you know, to specify the objectives of this disclosure.
2: Sure. Well, the three main objectives of these disclosures are to provide financial statement users with information about the type of magnitude of certain modifications of receivables that are made to borrowers experiencing financial difficulty. Also, the financial effect of those modifications and lastly, the degree of success of the modifications in mitigating potential credit losses. But why don't I give you some examples? There are certain disclosures about modifications during the period. Entities are now going to disclose the total period and amortized cost basis of receivables modified in the reporting period by each of the modification types that we just discussed, that being principal forgiveness, terms extensions, et cetera. And another example is the receivable performance disclosure. So entities will now need to disclose the performance of modified receivables in the 12 months following that in-scope modification. So let's say, John, that in March of the current year, an entity provided a modification that reduces the interest rate of a receivable. So going forward on each reporting date for the next 12 months, this entity is gonna need to disclose the performance of the modified receivable. And as provided in the illustrative example of the ASU, an aging status would be sufficient to meet this requirement. It's also important to note here, John, that some of these disclosures are activity-based versus period end So what do I mean by that? We're used to seeing aging status information for receivables as of the balance sheet date. That's a period end disclosure. But under the ASU, an entity will provide an aging status for receivables modified in the 12 months before period N. So while the aging status itself is as of the reporting date, the receivables included in the table are based on modification activity in the preceding 12 months.
0: Yeah, thanks, Hefet. So what are some of the issues we're hearing from companies as they prepare to implement this new issue?
2: Well, yeah, John, so the bulk of the questions that we've been getting are regarding the scoping of these enhanced disclosures. So meaning what are the modifications that need to be included and how? So I'll give you some examples of items that have garnered some attention. So. One of them is loan renewals, right? So should these be included in the disclosures? So a renewal represents a term extension because instead of paying off the loan, the borrower is going to get some additional time to do so. And this is the case regardless of if this renewal is going to be papered as a new loan or just as an amendment to an existing loan. And we mentioned earlier that term extensions are one of the types of modifications that will be subject to disclosure. Therefore, if a renewal is a modification is provided to a borrower experiencing financial difficulty, then those would be in scope of disclosures. One other thing we've been hearing is regarding when a loan is modified through a bankruptcy court. And so the modification, let's say to the contractual terms of like an interest rate reduction is imposed by a bankruptcy court. And this modification would be in fact included in the disclosures because the requirements apply regardless of whether the lender has agreed to the modification or it was required to accept it lisa have you heard anything else
1: yeah maybe one other one that i'll mention is uh, we've also been asked well what about receivables that got modified and then charged off during the same reporting period And for those, we believe it's appropriate to include those receivables in the disclosures.
0: Lisa and Hafet, thank you so much for spending time chatting with us today. I think this was a great overview of the new ASU and the impact on modified receivables. And I'm certainly looking forward to speaking with you all on the next podcast. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we are social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV.